Introducing the all-new Romeo y Julieta Passion. The story of this cigar dates back almost a year, during a visit to the Flor de Coupon factory in Honduras. We witnessed the endless amount of passion and love the workers put into each and every cigar. This hand-rolled cigar uses a blend of Dominican and Honduran filler tobaccos, along with a rich and flavorful binder from the U.S. The wrapper is a zesty Ecuadorian Habano leaf that offers up notes of pepper, leather, nuts, and a dash of cocoa. Ignite your passion and pick up a box of the Romeo y Julieta Passion at jrcigars.com. Get ready for Smoke Night Live with Massa Sensei. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Jordan. Hello. I Ooh. am your host. This is episode Sorry. 245 of Smoke Night Live. I'm your host. You can call me Master Sensei, or you can call me Eric if you want. My actual name. But Jordan. Yes. Welcome to the show, first and foremost. Thank you for having me. First and it's foremost, our trusty here. producer, Jordan. We have a studio audience tonight with... Matt and Scott, we're slowly, you know, opening back up to where we can actually, you know, have a studio audience again. Now we're obviously, so like the, we're supposed to say stay six feet apart. We're staying, we decided we would add an extra half foot. So we're staying six and a half feet apart from one another the entire night. Jordan Which means just, we just care a little bit we more. We care more than the safety. people that want to stay six feet apart. We're yeah. staying six and a half feet apart. Which makes us care a bit more about what's going on, with, which is exciting, yeah. Jordan. This is going to be an incredible episode. Uh, we'll bring on our guests shortly, but the guest we're about to have on the show tonight knows more about tobacco. He's forgot more about tobacco than I will ever know in my life. Klaus Kellner, the national brand ambassador for Davidoff. We'll bring him on shortly, but Jordan, guess what? Yes. We got some cool, exciting news. Holy cow. We got new glasses. These are the new uh, Flavor Odyssey Cigar Dojo beer glasses. This is in an interesting shape, Jordan. You should have had more beer in your glass so we could well, see I, it a little better. I drank some of it. <laughs> I drank some of it before the show started, Oops. but this glass has an interesting shape to bring you the most possible flavor. And From aroma. An aroma from your beer to your glass. On one side, you've got Robbie and Randy and Flavor Odyssey. And on the other side, you've got Cigar Dojo, Never Smoke Alone. Jordan, these things are going to go like hotcakes when they go for sale next week. Am I right? Oh, they're way cooler than I even imagined them to be. I know. I We got them. We They just came in this week. Uh, I think it was yesterday. They showed up in a box. I mean, I didn't even order. They showed up in a box. I didn't even. You, usually, my stuff shows up in bags. Jordan, I didn't even order them. They just showed up. Like it was just a mental thing. Like mm. they just the glasses just showed up out of nowhere. But these are really cool. We'll be putting them for sale on the Dojo website this week. What do you think about these, Jordan? Do you think this is a great it way? It might to be drink? the best glass we've done. It is an incredible. It's really cool. It is an incredible glass. Well, look at this. Look what I'm smoking. Oh, you can't even barely see it. There we go. Oh, oh yeah, baby. Dojo Dav. The Davidoff Dojo. I'm going to fire one of those up shortly myself. Um, 
Jordan. Yes. Uh, Cigar BQ is upon us. Matt. Cigar BQ is not this Sunday, but next Sunday, Matt. It like it like jumped up on us. What? How do you feel about that? I I don't know. I don't even know what I'm cooking yet. We gotta come up with some stuff to cook. If you guys don't know about Cigar BQ, we've been doing this. This will be the tenth time we've done Cigar BQ. So here's what you do: at your house, you can do this if you're stay at home or whatever. You can have a barbecue at your house. Share what you're doing. Share what you're cooking. Share what you're smoking all day long. There's going to be prizes galore from uh, Drew Estate is sponsoring the event, Cigar BQ 2020. It's going to be a blast. And we're going to pick some winners. There's going to be three winners. The top winner, number one winner, will get a Weber Drew Estate Grill, Jordan. This thing is sick. And the Weber grill. Now you'd say like, okay, so what's what's a Drew Estate Weber grill? It's a Weber grill, and the grill itself has like Drew Estate stuff in. It's made up of like Drew Estate logos and stuff. Do you think if you cooked a steak on it, that it would have a yes. Drew Estate logo it on your ab- steak afterwards? Yes, it yes. will absolutely have. You could make a steak that has a Drew Estate logo seared into the steak itself. So you guys got to participate. Every year it's a blast. Not only that, but Juan Cancel will be making a live version of his Old Fashioned. And Jordan, you, Jordan, that's you right there, you'll be making a live we version. We all know how to make an Old Fashioned. It's you, all about the new fashion, baby. No, no don't, don't undersell <laughs> Juan. He's going to be, he's a good Old Fashioned No, but maker. I invented the trashiest drink. Why, you know, like if you're going to trash up a drink. Trash up the classiest drink you can think of. So Jordan, Jordan will be making a live white trash old fashioned, which is going to be incredible. So that's next Sunday, not this Sunday, but next Sunday is cigar barbecue. So please start preparing for that. Start buying your meat. Start buying the drinks and cigars and things that you will have on that day because it's going to be an all day affair. We start early in the day okay. at around noon. Maybe you brew a beer. During the process. Yeah. We, we might. St- we start around noon mountain time and we go till midnight or whatever. It's like a 12-hour affair at least of just smoking cigars, smoking meat, drinking drinks. It's a blast. If you don't drink drinks, then bring your favorite sodas and coffee or whatever you Those do. Are drinks. It's just uh, not alcoholic. Hey. Alcoholic drinks. So, yeah. And then, get this, Friday May 29th, that is uh, not next Friday. Uh, next Friday, we'll have uh, Juan Martinez from Hoya de Nicaragua on the show. But the next Smoke Night Live, we are going to have the Dojo Hall of Fame induction awards ceremony. Oh. And there's a lot of people that are vying for spots in the Hall of Fame, Jordan. Randy. It, <coughs> it's, getting the, it's getting intense. The, uh, the, what do you call that? The folks that are like... Uh, you know, uh, politicianing. What, what, is the, what is the word? <laughs> campaigning. campaigning. Why couldn't campaigning? I think of that word? They're campaigning for their spot in the Hall of Fame. So uh, that's going to be an exciting episode. We got so m- This whole last month has been amazing. Nick Perdomo, Alan Rubin, Bobby Newman. I mean. The heavy hitters. Jonathan Drew, Eric Espinoza. We've had so many awesome folks on the show during some, some Kellner get kid during some whiz dur- kid. during this uh, quarantine time, and tonight is no different. 
Uh, we're going to have a great show tonight. Uh, real quick, it was announced this week that the Premium Cigar Association trade show has been canceled. Shocker. So there will be no PCA this year. So we're going to have to fill up what we normally do with other stuff. And um, the, the announcement, here's where I get salty. The well, announcement came. You a salty? The announcement came as a a um, you know a exclusive to Cigar Aficionado, and none of the other media outlets got this information. Which happens all the time. But but guess what? Hey PCA, I got news for you guys. Um, do you realize how much time and effort we spend promoting your show? Every single summer. now And here, paying to do so. Here's the caveat. So, like, I sent the PCA a note say, hey, I didn't get the press release. And they sent me a note back and said, you know what? You haven't paid your fees yet, so we didn't send you the press release. And I was like, Ooh. the show hasn't happened yet. Give me a break. <laughs> like, I could pay my dues at any moment. You're still a member for a year, presumably. I paid my dues last year, and I covered your show intensely creating hundreds of videos and tons of content and tons of hours of effort into promoting your show. The show hasn't happened yet. I could pay my dues. How salty am I supposed to let you get? How I could have paid my dues I cut you off? tomorrow and still gone to the show, which I could have done, but now I'm glad I didn't pay my dues because that's ridiculous. Like This is an, this is an announcement that every media outlet should have gotten regardless of their standing, well, especially and, because it, until the show happens, it affects you know so many retailers that could possibly it have seems seen that news. Like the Premium Cigar Association cannot get out of their own way. Like, help me help you. I'm trying to help you. Okay, like literally, I'm spending thousands and thousands of dollars trying to help you. And if you're not going to then in turn help me help you, then I don't care. Like, that is ridiculous. Am I bummed that there's no show? Of course I'm bummed that there's no premium cigar association show. I love going to the trade show every year and spending thousands of dollars and tons of hours of time helping you guys. But you guys have to help me help you. Do you understand help what I'm saying? Me. Jordan, is that help salty you. enough? That like, was pretty salty. I'm literally, my blood pressure, <laughs> which is already high, I take medication for that, is like literally through the roof at this point like i'm trying to help you guys so well and like it's not a thing please. that we don't care too much about being first on press releases and that's not what we do at the dojo but it's just weird that you'd be paying to be a member of something and to still get an exclusive to somebody else it's insane it's absolutely insane but enough of that enough of that depressing stuff Jordan, let's move on to the good stuff. I'm going to fire up a... Cranked it to 11. I'm going to crank up a Davidoff Cigar Dojo exclusive. They are aging Because nicely. these are amazing. Let's bring our guest on right now. Klaus Kellner, how are you doing, my friend? What's going on in your world, Klaus? Uh, life is good, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you need to be saltier than that, Klaus. Come on. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm here to change the tone. I'm here okay. to... Yes. Give you guys a little bit of happiness. I know that tonight we're going to be getting a little bit uh, nerdy. And I love getting nerdy. I love getting geeky with tobacco stuff. 
and I know you guys too. So I'm sure that some of these questions and some of these answers that we're going to be getting is probably going to put a smile on your face. So let's change the tone. Yes, that's that's what I needed, Klaus. I needed I needed I needed a tone changing from you, and I appreciate that. So you are the uh, national brand ambassador for Davidoff, and along with that comes the idea that you can. I mean, look. Jordan and I went down to the Davidoff factory a couple years ago, spent time in the fields with you and the factory with you. And at the time, I remember saying, Jordan, like, this is a young dude who literally knows way more than I expected. Like, he knows from the seed to the smoke more than I think I've ever heard anybody be able to handle all of those steps in my life. Oh, yeah. Most of these factory tours, it's just pretty repetitive, not repetitive, but they all are dealing with the same factory stuff, um, whereas they don't usually delve into the farming like, like Davidoff did. Yeah, I learned more, Klaus, from you in the farming part than I've ever learned in my life, and I so I, I forever appreciate that. And that was an incredible trip that we had. We had a blast with you down there. That was a great uh, week together, and definitely we became uh, real close, but I think we're in... We hang out, hang out on Vegas, and that night that I was coming back to my hotel room and I found right. myself at the bar. I mean, that's when this whole classes in session thing got created. Really, uh, you guys knew that I could answer a lot of your questions, but that night in Vegas, that's when you guys really started asking me questions that were out of the norm. Right. And I, I think that's when we really baptized these classes in session sessions. And I'm glad we keep doing these. And now it's almost like once a year, at least, we're doing these. And it's a good tradition to keep doing. So, folks, if you if you uh, entered in the contest this week, we started the contest on Wednesday. And we got tons of questions. And we've narrowed it down to 10 questions, Klaus. And if the top question at the end of the show, uh, we're going to have Klaus pick a, a best question. And that person is going to win this this uh, bag of ten cigars. Oh, bag of goodies. By the way, these are all killer. I, There's I sh- a Dojo Davidoff in there. There is a Dojo Davidoff oh. in here. I, I don't want to go through each one, but also, also get this. This is the this is the this is the killer. Check out this flask. Now, Klaus, oh, yeah. Klaus, you're probably familiar with this thing. Let me try to show it. This is not your average bourbon or whiskey flask. Like this thing. Wait till you guys this see this a thing. monster. It literally weighs a couple pounds just on its own. Like the quality. This thing is legit, dude. Like <laughs> you could fit a whole bottle of bourbon. I in think it. you could put at least a 350 milliliter uh, bottle of bourbon in that thing. Look at that bad boy. That thing is incredible. So somebody, some lucky winner, class is going to win this tonight. But you can't fit a whole bottle because there's a secret compartment in there. Wait, wait, there is? what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Wait, what? Turn it. Okay. This contest just got a little more interesting. Wait, I don't see anything not, secret. The, you should be able to press on it on the sides, and it should turn, uh, right. uh, like the corners on the of the lid. I yes. I, I don't see anything. I don't. Wait, 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 wait. There you go. What? Oh, wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. Look at this. So you it's put a cigar a cigars. 
No way. I did not. I didn't even see no that. No way. I oh. didn't even enter the contest. Darn it. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Somebody give me a cigar. A, op, an open cigar. You got anybody got a cigar? Scott? I think the, the biggest it fits is a certain size Toro. Oh, my word. Look at this. <laughs> Look at that. Certain Toros don't fit, but smaller Toros do. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that till right now. Why are we giving this away? I don't even know. We're not. This is not going out. <laughs> this is incredible. So, anyways, somebody is going to win this thing, which is now even way cooler than I ever imagined. Uh, somebody will win that tonight. We'll do it at the very end of the show. Um, so, good luck to everybody. So, here's what happened. So, so class, we got a bunch of questions, hundreds of questions, and we've narrowed it down to ten questions for a yes. segment we call "Class is in Session." session. <laughs> I should have. We should have a little jingle for this. We need. We need a jingle, Jordan. We All need right, a jingle. I'll work on that. So, class, um, I know some of these are going to be. Uh, some of these are going to be. You know, they're going to take you by surprise, but we're going to just throw these at you, and uh, and we can go off on any kind of rabbit rabbit trail that you like. Um, the first question, let's go, let's, let's get this started. The very first question comes from Dirty Socks 93 from, Inst this is an Instagram it's question. Dirty socks, huh? And, um, <laughs> his or her, I'm not sure. I think it's a guy. His question is, what is the best way to introduce my love of cigars to a non-cigar smoker? Say my, a friend or a girlfriend. How would you answer that question? Um, I'm going to go a little bit of personal here. Um, my, my wife, um, she uh, is born in a tobacco family. So her father works in tobacco. She grew up in tobacco. But she really was not really enjoying cigars on a regular basis. She liked the environment, she, but she really wasn't into cigars every single day like now she is and she understood it she really enjoyed it she loved the environment but she always always tells me that she came to love cigars because of the stories i tell i never pushed the cigar on her i never said hey try this these are the tasting notes it should taste like this or you should do it like this i started by telling stories that romanticize the whole idea of enjoying a cigar what are the everything that comes around it you know, it's it's not just enjoying a cigar. You do it step one, step two, step three. It's everything that in, is about the environment. But when you're talking about a friend, you have to also understand what kind of friend or what kind of girlfriend you have. Because you have to analyze what kind of personality they are. Because if you, for example, love going to Pro Cigar, which is the biggest party cigar party in Dominican Republic, and you want to introduce somebody to the world of cigars and you take him there. If that person is outgoing, he's going to be surrounded by 800 people and he's going to love the environment. He's going to love the music. He's going to love everything there is about this environment. He wants to become part of it. So he might want to like cigars because of this or be introduced into this world because of this amazing environment. But you might have the opposite effect if that person is not a person that likes being social. This person is more of a person that likes to relax you know, uh, enjoy cigars or enjoy more alone time, more of a little bit of an introvert, if you might say. And you have to approach that kind of person differently with the stories. You have to let them understand that a cigar is 
not just the flavors, but is also a friend to meditate, is a time for reflection. So you have to appeal to the person with the beautiful stories, the beautiful environments, but with their personality. Mm. So you should do a bit of psychology and a little bit of marketing on how you're going to approach that person if you really want them to love this. Now, I would say, first off, to Dirty Socks, first off, clean your socks, dude. Wash your Come socks. On. And then, now, there's, the, there's, the, there's two sort of notions, Klaus. There's, like, the notion of, I don't want to give the person, like, an expensive cigar, like a new cigar smoker, an expensive cigar. because they won't appreciate it. Because they might not appreciate it. Right. So I want to give them a cheap cigar. But then there's the notion of I don't want to give them a cheap cigar because that might give them a bad taste in their mouth as to what a cigar is. So how do you fall on that line? Like my personal opinion, I'll just go ahead and answer this before you do. I tend to think it's best to go ahead and give them a really good cigar. Take the chance that they might not smoke the whole thing, but then romanticize that cigar and say, like, you know, this cigar is, you know, it was made in the Dominican Republic. It was it, it's it's a very rare cigar. I've aged it for a couple of years and then get them thinking in their mind that this is something special. I know other people who say, no, nah, like that's a waste, like you're wasting a good cigar. Start off with something cheap because they might not even like it and they might just throw it down after an inch. So, well, it was an expensive cigar that that got you into this whole thing, right? It, that's like, true. You kind so, of I kind of were interested, but like I come from sort of that other side. Whereas it it took me a it was a Pedro nineteen sixty four Imperial, and it, that w- it wasn't until I smoked that cigar class that I said, oh wow, there's something more to this than just like you know playing pool and bowling and poker. Like this is like a legit thing. Like I can taste actual flavors and stuff. So how do, what do you think about that? Like do you give them like an expensive cigar? Do you give them like a cheap cigar? How do you come down on that you definitely have to give them something that won't leave a harsh aftertaste that won't leave negative connotations in their palate mm-hmm. uh you know especially those prolonged cigars that you it might give them a taste that will be prolonged somebody that's new at this is not used to these flavors is not used to these sensations and i always equate it to when i first started getting into like indian food very spicy food that spice was too much. So I always ordered for lower spice or the least spice possible when I went to these restaurants. And I kind of slowly went up. So you don't want to give them something too crazy, too bold. But then I also tell people, hey, if you're scared of, um, you know, maybe tiring them out or wasting a cigar, give them a nice cigar, expensive cigar that is going to go for the flavor profile that you're going for, but why not go for something that is also smaller? Because somebody that is new can't puff on a cigar for an hour. Mm. That is not normal for them. That will tire them. It will tire their their palate. It will tire their, their jaw even. And at that moment, you give them a smaller cigar and you introduce them to smaller cigars, through smaller experiences so that they develop the palate and they develop the liking. You don't want to start them off with a Toro size. They're not going to finish it. Let's be honest. That that rarely, rarely happens. There's exceptions to the rule, but that doesn't happen. Right. Now that's a good point. I I would say that it also depends on how much you like the person. <laughs> you know, like I I like this. This is my cousin. I I love him. He's great. Or this is my aunt. I you well, know I want what? To just get out of here. I I kind of wish he'd leave. So boom. You know. No. Uh, something. I I never had that issue because I I kind of. 
have <laughs> access to Stavanoff. So right. You always I, give I, them expensive cigars. If you were my friend, you, you probably got spoiled right away. And most of my friends tell me that I spoiled them and I ruined them because they can't go back. Right? <laughs> All right, let's go to question number two. Uh, this is an actually a, uh, a question that came in via email from R. Wilson. They still do that? They still There's still such a thing as email, Jordan. I don't know if Holy you know this or not. But. All right, uh, Klaus, here we go. Um, here's the question. This is a long one, so bear with me here. I'm going to read it. I'm sure every step in the cigar-making process is of the utmost importance. Growing, harvesting. Jordan, you can put the question up. Growing, harvesting. Mm, that is a thing that we're doing. Processing, storing the tobacco, uh, aging it, production, packaging, then distribution. But which step in that process has the most opportunity for fail, and therefore, which takes the greatest attention to detail, Klaus? Mm, you know, first I got to... Uh, commend you guys for putting up the question. It almost looks like I went up to the chalkboard and I wrote the question with my ash. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so it's interesting question because you guys know I love using the word depends, right? It depends on this, it depends <laughs> on that. There's a lot of variables. It, let's say you want to look at from one perspective where uh, it's the beginning of the process, right? Or you want to look at it from the end of the process. Because to make a Davidoff cigar, for example, it takes at least five years to make one of these cigars. And if you do everything right and you do not take care of the last couple steps, the quality control of the manufacturing, the packaging, if you do not take care of the maintaining of the cigar, you know, the, all, all, there's opportunity for failure in each one of these. And if you are in your home and you are not take, maintaining your humidor, which a lot of people can be very guilty of, then you could ruin your experience and all this work that happened uh, goes to waste. And that's a shame. But in my opinion, to answer your question, I look at it the opposite. I'm looking at the beginning of the process where is we're looking at the bulk of the product, which is the growing part, a, a farm, a huge farm with a lot of tobacco that will soon become inventory. And I think there's the most opportunity for failure there. Mm. And why? It's because in the farm, there is a lot of variables that we can't control. Weather variables, disease variables, uh, bug variables that you can control with fertilizers, insecticides, but you can't control weather. So you have to be very careful. You have to really be on your A game and your agronomers, your farmers have to be on their A game because all their investment could go to waste. And that is their year's crop. And if their year's crop goes to waste, that year they lost everything. And it's very, very scary when you see somebody's crop go bad a year for something that maybe they can't control. And then sometimes I say that the curing process, which is still happens on the farm, is just as important or even maybe more because at that moment you have already spent four months, three months of work on the farm. And if you mess up the curing process, you still haven't sold the tobacco to the companies. And at that moment, all your investment is in these curing barns. And if something goes wrong and you do not, if you mess up, you could ruin your whole year. Yeah. I, I, so like before you answered that, I, in my mind was answering it too. And I, it just, it, what, and what little I know compared to what, you know, 
my answer was the same because it seems like with growing tobacco, you know, from the seed, I mean, just based on like growing stuff at my own house, lettuce or tomatoes or whatever, that initial stage of, you know, planting the seeds and trying to make sure that, you know, no bugs got into the tomato plants or whatever, that seems to be the hardest thing to control because, like you said, there's these external factors you know, like you can take, you know, you can take tobacco that you got from a grower somewhere else. And even if it's not great tobacco, you can still make a cigar or, or whatever. But if you are in charge of growing that tobacco and you have a bad season or there's mold or there's bugs like that can ruin literally everything. And then you have nothing. You can't even go to step two. Yep. And at that moment, you have a hole in your inventory. And you have to adapt and you have to get the tobacco from somewhere else. And everywhere else during the process, I mean, cigar making, all these quality controls are things that you put in place, that you manage and that you control and you teach your workers how to manage and how to do. So these are factors that you can control. But and out on the farm, I mean, it's the will of the weather. It's the will of God, you know, and at that moment, you have to adapt to what God gives you. You got to like, Klaus, like if there's things that happen while you're growing, like say the when the seedlings are small and you've just maybe you've just you replanted them and put them into the ground and then you have a, like a, a big rain like you guys have to scramble at that point right to like make sure that you know they're not washed out or whatever like that at that point like you're literally like working like minute to minute to make sure that everything is going to ha- you know happen the way you need it to happen right yeah weather changes from year to year for example, in Dominican Republic, we always start, uh, you know, the this area, the time we transplant the plant from our greenhouses to the farm, it happens at 45 days. And we have been in the greenhouse since September, October. And during these months, it's hurricane season. And at that moment, your plant is inside the greenhouse, is well protected. It's being protected from external factors, external weather, bugs, everything so for during those 45 days you have a lot of control after you transplant to the farm you hopefully have a really nice well-developed plant with very well developed uh, root systems that can anchor on and at that moment it's past hurricane season so there's less possibility of a rain coming in and really uh, you know washing it away I saw a comment that says that those greenhouses uh, must be epic Imagine 52 greenhouses. Imagine 9 million plants. Wow. Holy. One transplanted by hand, each one worked on by hand 9 million times. It's, it's impressive. It's really insane. Yeah. You know, so, one of the things that, that was so amazing to me is uh, when we were down there at the farms with you guys is you've, you've made all these seedlings in these smaller containers but now you have to transplant them to a, a larger container. And the ladies that do this have some gloves on. They have gloves on. And then they dip their fingers in, in milk to, yeah. and they grab the plant out to put them into a bigger container. That, and that milk uh, essentially makes it less of a shock on the plant in replanting it. Is, am I saying that right? Is that how that works? Yeah, basically this raw milk protects the roots from there being a shock at the moment of transplantation. And then the roots, uh, with less shock, they can adapt to the new cell that they've been planted on and grow uh, grow without any trauma. 
the same thing happens when we transplant them from the greenhouse over to the farm. At that moment, we're also dipping uh, all the roots also in milk to guarantee that there is less trauma possible. And of course, everybody's with gloves. There's no cigar smoking allowed in those areas. You have to wash your feet uh, before you walk in your shoes. And that way there is no diseases going into these sterile environments that are, are greenhouses. So we're very, very careful inside the greenhouses. And continuing with the topic about things that you can't control, uh, we have also in Dominican Republic different uh, dates that we know of. Uh, and for example, that ch weather changes. So for example, we never plant, transplant from the greenhouse to the, the farm before hurricane season. But we know that we should be almost done or everything should be inside the, the curing barn by the time Ash Wednesday comes. Mm. But, because at that moment, the wind starts. And it's crazy how almost right on that Ash Wednesday, mm. it, it, wind starts coming. So there's a lot of dates. A lot of these dates are uh, tied down to religious holidays, uh, religious days. And we just know how more or less weather is going to be reacting at what time of the month because of these dates that we know of experience. Yeah, and these are the kind of things that you can only know, I think, just from, like, experience. Like, you imagine, like, a... Uh, uh, a folks that make like a high-end bourbon right like like yeah. how do they know like this bourbon is going to be good nine years from now right jordan it's just generations it's like generations of knowledge that they know like this is exactly oh it can't taste this way now because if it tastes this way now it's not going to taste the way we want it to in nine years it's a it's very similar with tobacco class in that you guys know if the plants are a certain way now like five years from now this tobacco isn't going to be the way we want it and that that blows my mind that you, you know that generational you know from your father and so on way down the line you guys are able to adjust to these you know conditions and know like ash wednesday you know wind comes up that kind of stuff like that that is to me that just blows my mind and i mean you could almost write these things down even i have done reports but if, again like you said if you don't live it you you do not you can read it but you won't experience it you won't know it. it it won't be part of you and it's just things that you just know because you do it right. and when you grow up in the farm and you have to handle the farm you and you have to do these things and actually get dirty that's when you learn right exactly all right excellent question Wait, before Thank we go oh, on the, go ahead Jordan. the people want to know yes what you're smoking and what your parent there we class. go oh uh, I knew we were going to get technical and I assumed there was going to be a lot of questions about like soil and everything. So I decided to have the Yamasa, is Yamasa Toro in this case. And there's a lot of soil answers that are in particular with this cigar. I am actually enjoying rum being in Dominican Republic. Uh, I, I love two brands in particular. I love Brugal, but another brand I love is Bermudez, mm -hmm. the Bermudez mm -hmm. family, Anniversario. They have is an excellent rum, old school kind of rum, not too sweet. It has a tiny bit of spice. It goes very well with the cigar. All right. Excellent. All right. These, uh, the next question is actually a two-part question. Two guys asked a similar question, so we're going to combine it into one. Uh, the first one's from Steve Hoffman. He says, um, how often, if done, are you cross-breeding or creating new versions of tobacco plants for new blends? And then... The next part comes from Chad uh, from the Dojo app. He says, 
in coming up with new types of tobacco, what is the process for looking at the genetics of tobacco? How much genetic testing and science is used? And, and, he, and he adds, how many patents do you have on tobacco? But so let's, re- maybe read the first one one more time. Let's just talk a little bit about genetics. Like how often are you crossbreeding and creating new versions of tobacco that have never been created before for new blends? We are working uh, every year on new varieties. Every single year we are creating new uh, hybrids, new crossings. And these tobaccos, we test them out. Uh, Yamasa is actually one of those farms that we use for testing. The farm that you visited, Hikome, is another farm that we use for testing. And we will normally have an area where we plot lanes or different lines of different varieties. And we will mark them with their name, their variety, what we kind of expect is going to be coming out of this. And then we will do trial tests. And normally we'll do many trial tests, sometimes several years of the same variety in different soils. And we will uh, see how they develop, how they react in different zones. So every year, I would say there's probably about eight to ten new varieties that we're working on. Probably about a, a fourth of them are actually feasible. Mm. They actually turn out that we want to try them next year, and we try with the new ones from the following so, year. So, so what you're saying is 75% of those test uh, lee or test plants don't get used at all like only 25 percent of them might go on hey we like this one let's work with that again next year yes and it's a lot of trial and error a lot of you know actually you know research and development just trying it out and seeing how it acts in different zones sometimes we say well this one didn't this one this one didn't you know grow well in this zone and we realized that it wasn't more it was maybe too maybe it was too prone to a certain disease and in this zone this disease happens a lot so let's try it out in another farm where it's less prone to this disease in another region that you don't have this blue mold or you don't have this uh, uh, to- tomato white spotted virus so we we will do different testing so it's it takes a lot of time and it that also kind of gives you an idea of how many seeds we've created over the years because we've been creating seeds since the 80s right so now mm-hmm. now and not only that but so when you're when you're doing this, this is like a long term thing. Like so, if you start to find one that you like, how many years down the line? And this kind of goes to the second question that uh, Chad asked about you know the genetics of tobacco. How many years down the line will it be until you start actually using that tobacco for cigars? Seven, six, five? I mean, how long does it take? Well, even before we start trying them out on the farm. It can take up to eight years mm. uh, just creating the seed. We, in our greenhouses, we can kind of cut the time in a half, so four or five years. Um, so just to create the seed that we're looking for, or we want to try out, it will take several years, five years about average. And then you then have to try it out in the farm. So we are really always looking way in advance. When it comes to seed creations, we're talking about decades in advance sometimes. Wow. And the people that are working on the seeds right now uh, might not see them. <laughs> wow. That's, an, that's insane to me that it's that far down the line, which sort of gets to, Jordan, like the, like the bourbon comparison. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking 10, maybe a decade's worth of time until that seed or that plant might ever be utilized. What would you say the most famous Davidoff hybrid, you know, your creation seeds are? 
Like, uh, like seven hundred two comes to mind, but like, what are what would you say? Probably the most famous that people know of is the seven hundred two, but the the one thirty three was was groundbreaking because that one was for puro de oro. And that's really the basis of what Yamasa is today. Today we're using a 257 for Yamasa. <laughs> Again, all these numbers only mean numbers to you, but these are different varieties. And and for the 702 is very special because it's, it's basically a hybrid between three uh, types of seeds. There's two Habano types, which is 25% one Habano, 25 another percent Habano. There's a 50% Pelo de Oro in there as well. So 702 might be the most famous one. And as of late, in the last couple of years, the Capa Aromatica from the Royal Series. Oh. Capa only found in the Royal Series, Capa Aromatica, grown in the Yamasa farm, is spectacular. Wow. So, so what you're saying, this is kind of cool, right? Is What he's saying is there's stuff that they're working on now that they're excited about that we haven't even really got to well, yet, right? I mean, I thought you were saying that's in the Royale. Well, the Capa Aromatica, yes. You're right, right but there are other ones that are probably close, what's, right? What's the max, you know, like I've, I've heard of a, a quad hybrid. Is there, Can it go above that? Yeah. Uh, you can, I mean, a quad hybrid is basically crossing two and then crossing two at the same time, and then, uh, and then the next generation you cross the two sons of it. So at that moment you can cross that F3 generation with another one, and you... You, you split it up even more but normally you don't get that far down the line because at that moment you are really kind of playing with the percentage of probability that you, that the gene that you're looking after will show up mm. because the more you split it up right. the less possibilities of the of the genes that you're looking for might come up and you have to do a lot of test samples and you have to really narrow it down to the specific gene that you're looking for all right, so uh, next question uh, before we take our quick commercial break is a, uh, a less technical question, but kind of a fun question. Uh, this one comes from JT Wap on the Dojo app. He, said, he asks, what is your favorite Davidoff cigar backstory? So now we're talking about like uh, a cigar that you guys came up with that maybe had an interesting sort of story that made the cigar come to being. Can you think of anything off the top of your head that is, is interesting that uh, maybe had some sort of, uh, you know, struggle or something funny or whatever, that, but it came to be, uh, you know, part of your guys' line? Uh, before I answer that question, I just want to add to yes. my previous answer that we do not do patents on our seeds. Mm. Uh, that mm. was part of the question. And, and the reason why we don't do patents on our seeds is because there's no need to. And our seeds, when we cross them, we make sure they're male sterile. That means they can't reproduce. Mm. So even if somebody were to steal our seed, they would steal that seed and they will not be able to reproduce it. So it, our seeds are proprietary of only us and nobody can use them. And there's even no need for a patent. So in that every sense. time you want more of that seed, you have to rehybridize the previous seeds. Every single time we want to create the seed again, we have to do the crossings again. So wow. every year we doing crossings again and again. Wow. And how and how long does the crossings take? Like that that can't happen right away, right? It takes a few generations or what? No, once you know the final outcome that you want, you just keep the two fa the two the mother and the father and you just keep crossing those two mm. and you get a good average of that final seed. And seeds are tiny. So you can uh, in a, in a 
flask, you can carry thousands and thousands of seeds. So there's no need to have a huge vault for seeds. Wow. But on to the next question. Yeah. Um, uh, what's my favorite Davidoff backstory for a cigar? A lot of people don't know this story. It's the Colorado Claro story. All right. uh, I chose it because you guys are in Colorado. Um, <laughs> hey. Um, Colorado Claro uh, dates back to the story begins in the crop of 1991 in Connecticut Valley. At the time, Connecticut Valley, their biggest client was, um, the, well, the company Shea, Shea Leaf, their biggest client were the companies for machine-made cigarettes, uh, cigars, machine-made cigars in England. And they would purchase a lot of great quality tobacco, very, very light Connecticut from Connecticut Valley. And the year 1991, it was a very dry year, and that tobacco became, turned out to be very, very dark. Mm. More sun, tobacco was very dark, and the companies in England rejected all the tobacco. They didn't want it. They, it was too dark for their machine-rolled cigars. It, it was not what their consumers wanted. So Shea Leaf ended up having a massive inventory of this tobacco. At the time, the tobacco prices were about uh, for a pound of grade two tobacco was thirty dollars. Wow. For grade three, the the pound was about twenty dollars. And this is even before my father sold the company Tabadom to Davidoff. But my father was already making Davidoffs. And my father went to Shea Leaf and he decided to purchase some of that tobacco that was a lot darker. Uh, he was putting most of that tobacco into the Paul Garmerian and the Avo brands that he was also making. Uh, we still make those brands, and Avo is owned by Davidoff now. But from the grade two tobacco that he purchased at a much lower price, much, much lower price, he, um, he had grade two tobacco that was really good for Davidoff, and it was in the color range. And we used to have three different types of colors back then. We had a parameter that all the really uh, light ones would go to Switzerland. All the medium colored ones would go to the rest of Europe, so France, Spain, and all the dark ones would go to United States. Uh, that's not happening now, but there was an extra amount of this dark sh tobacco that was getting put on Davidoff cigars that were too dark and could not be sold as Davidoff. And we had this extra inventory of darker wrapper from Davidoff that we couldn't sell. And that the United States got it, but we decided to name it and we put on the boxes CC, mm. Colorado Claro. Colorado means colored or darker, right? And so it's a, it's, a, it's a lighter, dark color. And people in the United States received them and out of nowhere, people started loving them. You know, it had a little bit more taste and people were asking for it, but we were only producing like 10,000 of these cigars, 20,000, <laughs> not a good production. And it was crazy. And the boom hit a couple of years later and it just exploded. And at that moment, they decided to actually really name a cigar Colorado Claro. So the reason why Colorado Claro exists is because some cigars that ultimately were too dark to be sold, but the market still wanted them. And nowadays, it's almost like this, you know, you could say this like Maduro type of cigar that it has the original Davidoff blends, but with a darker shade. Hmm. And at the beginning, it was only Connecticut, but now we have changed that wrapper to really make a distinct this uh, flavor 
uh, profile. So it's not exactly the same cigar as the original versions. It's a darker shade, a different variety. But it's really funny how that story plays out with, you know, whether, you know, them not being able to sell it. And my father just going in and, you know, just buying off what he could at a really low price. Yeah, that's, that's funny awesome. because it's like, you know, it's a story of like, it sounds like a failure story, but it turns into like not a failure story. Like maybe one of the most epic, you know, cigars was started off as what would seemingly be maybe like a failure in someone's eyes, but... You know, the, the, it depends on the market, right? The market wants what the market wants. And in the United States, we tend to like, you know, bolder, stronger, darker cigars. So during the boom time, it became so famous, Colorado Claro, you know, and everybody wanted to make cigars. Everybody was going to factories trying to make cigars. So uh, one of our partner suppliers, ASP Enterprises, at the time, Alfredo Perez, he... Uh, he passed away, and now his son, uh, David, uh, runs the company. And today's his birthday, so happy birthday, David. Oh, happy um, birthday. Um, a client or somebody wanting to go make cigars went to Alfredo Perez, and Alfredo had bought the remaining stock from Shade Leaf, and he asked Alfredo for tobacco from Colorado mm. during the book time. And he's like, I, I know there's tobacco from Colorado. Please, I need to get this tobacco from Colorado. <laughs> And, and, and Alfredo is like, what do you mean tobacco from Colorado? Colorado doesn't have tobacco. It's like, yes, look at this magazine, Cigar Aficionado. Colorado, claro. I remember thinking when we when I first got into cigars, like, oh, wow, we do, we do. Tobacco? That's what I'm surprised. That's amazing. All right, folks, uh, so we still have six more and a bonus question. But uh, this show is sponsored by JR Cigars, one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high-end boxes, including the brand-new exclusive Romeo e Julieta Passion. Don't forget to check out their social media pages, including YouTube, where they feature cigar reviews, interviews, and their famous weekly top five videos. Check out JR Cigars for all of your premium cigar needs. Let's go to question five, Jordan. Here we go. This one comes from uh, Cigar Noop on Instagram. Uh, do you find the flavor of your tobacco varies from year to year? For example, one year is better than another, not just an aging effect. Like the actual tobacco itself is different from year to year. Yes. Um, from year to year, tobacco tastes different depending mainly on the weather. And of course, it is up to the farmer or up to the company, if they control the farming side, to control as many variables as possible. But the one variable we really can't control is the weather. A sunnier year will produce more intense tobacco. A more rainier year will produce softer tobacco. And at that moment, you have to rebalance the blend. And it is up to the cigar manufacturer to make that cigar, re-blend that cigar, and try to get it as exactly as possible as the, you could say, previous batch that he made with the tobacco from the previous year. Normally, a blend is composed of many tobaccos, and all these tobaccos, you don't run out of them at the same time. So you run out of one type of tobacco first, and then you run out of another type of tobacco. So you're tweaking parts of the blend at, at different times, and you're trying to make them as perfect as possible and as exact as possible. When you, don't, when you don't control everything, 
when you do not control uh, every step of the way, you're not re-blending, it is possible that your cigar uh, might taste different from one time from one time that you had it to another. Davidoff promise is consistency and we try our best to make sure that the cigar that you had 10 years ago tastes exactly the same as a cigar that you had uh, 10 years later or the cigar you're having today will taste exactly the same as 10 years from now. It's very, that's, I think that's where the magic happens. It's mm. not easy. It, it's really up to the master blenders, you know, that know-how, having that palate, being able to re-blend that so that the cigar is as perfect as possible. But I think that Davidoff is the, probably the company that is the best at that, making sure that your cigar always tastes exactly the same. And especially with very, very big companies, uh, and also with, with small companies, it happens a lot. Uh, with boutique companies, they don't have the inventory to guarantee your blend to be exactly the same. And when you run out of inventory really quick, like small companies that don't have large, vast amounts of inventory, they have to change the blend very often. And it's very possible that your cigars might start tasting different. And I think Davidoff is probably the one that has the best inventory, over five years of inventory. And that's why we can control this from not happening as much. So you, so that that master blender has to be like, all right. So we need to we need to up the uh, Lejero in this this year uh, because it's to not as something else out because it's not as strong as it was last year. That kind of stuff. Like they're they're like just maybe like micromanaging that blend. Is that what you said? That recipe for that cigar. Yeah, we have we have a recipe book. We have our, our cookbook, and that cookbook every couple months becomes obsolete because there's a couple blends in there that, that have to be tweaked and that cook always ends up being updated and, and it's it's up to the master blender to do those micro changes sometimes they up the percentage or sometimes they will change the folio level but what you have to do is you have to try to maintain every other variable as precise as and as constant as possible so you always you always use the same type of seeds you always use the same farm so that these flavor variables don't change. But the intensity variables are the ones that really change from year to year with the weather. So you're really changing the blend because of the intensity changes in the tobacco, not so much because of the flavor changes. Gotcha. Unless you don't control the farm and you don't control the soil because that's something that some people just don't have the opportunity to do. All right, so let's go to the next question. This one comes from Tanner C. from the Dojo app. Uh, do you find, or no, is a terroir, right, Jordan? Is that how I say I it? Ter so. Terroir. Is terroir as important to tobacco as it is with wine? If so, do you determine what kind of seed will grow best in an area based on soil composition like they do with wine? Yes. Terroir is very, very important. Normally, uh, the type of seed plus the soil, that combination of those two is what's going to give you a flavor, uh, type of flavor profile. The intensity comes from the position of the leaf in the plant and the weather. And with these four variables, you, you control intensity and you control flavor profile. And terroir or soil is probably uh, as important as the seed but um, 
the difference with wine and cigars is that in the wine industry, it is accepted that some years taste different than others. You know, you have vintages, you have some better years than others, and where in the cigar industry, even if this tobacco changes, you have to uh, adapt the blend and make sure the blend is consistent. That's why I always say that cigars is more like champagne, where champagne uses three types of seeds from the same region of the champagne, and then they uh, rebalance or they blend in the cuvee the different types of seeds. They're blending liquids at that moment to try to make that champagne always taste exactly the same. And there's different soils that uh, work better with some seeds, but it's not only the soil, it's also the environment and the weather in those terroirs, because that's also part of it. For example, some terroirs are, are have are more prone to blue mold because it rains more. Some terroirs are more prone to bugs because it's a drier region. So you have to also pick the seeds, not only to the soil, but also to the different other factors that might come into play in those regions. And some seeds will just perform better than in others. Mm. And I think I've already also answered in that before. Right. When we so, so like with wine, you're just like the wine drinker is just okay with the fact that different vintages are just going to taste differently. But in the cigar world, the cigar consumer, they want the same flavor. There, there are exceptions in the wine industry. There's also blends, you know, and but it's also a thing that the wine industry or the wine market and the consumer is used to. Where in the in the cigar industry, if you change your favorite cigar's flavor every single year, you would fail. And that thing where cigars is more like the wine industry is in the limited editions, right. where you provide limited editions every single year. And these are different flavor profiles of that year that you're offering to your consumer. And the consumer expects it every year to be different. All right. This next question comes from uh, Miguel N. And he was also from, this is a Dojo app question. He says, how can tech technology uh, be used to enhance the cigar world or industry and consumer experience? Uh, there's two parts to that question. One of them is the cigar industry, tobacco industry, and the other one is the consumer side, which is, you could almost say, uh, marketing, sales, and the store experience. I believe that technology in uh, the farm is very, very important nowadays. Not everybody can uh, do the investment on it, but things like uh, fertilization through irrigation, irrigation uh, that is controlled with uh, timers, with machinery that actually pumps water at certain in intervals that really uh, gives exactly the amount of nutrients, exactly the amount of water at the exact moment. That is things that you can do. Not a lot of people have that technology. Davidoff has it in a lot of their farms, but even with the smaller farmers, the don't have the ability to have these in um, these investments. It's not possible with even the smaller farmers. And then the other thing you can do in the farming is you can do better curing. You can do uh, heating panels with gas inside the curing. In, inside the curing, you can have better technology measuring the humidity in different areas of the process. So there's all, all these are different, different things that we can do with technology. We just started doing uh, two years ago tests with drones for, mm, wow. um, 
Yes, drones for um, um, insecticides. So the drone will will uh, put less insecticides, will cover an area more evenly. The problem is just that it's not easy to do. You would have to really do it in-house, but it works. And you and because you do it with a drone, you don't have a person walking through every single lane applying insecticides at every plant. So they're breaking less leaves because the drone doesn't right. touch leaves. So right. that's something, that all that is technology that we're working with. And it's interesting to see how the agricultural world has evolved. Tobacco is still a very intensive hand labor process because every leaf is just as important. You can't just have a machine go in there and picking everything out. Uh, so harvesting is still done by hand. Uh, so it's very hard to modernize, but it is there's it's there's need for modernization, especially when everybody is fleeing the the farms and moving to the big cities. So you have to figure out different ways to how to make your farm more efficient with less people. Something that really hasn't hit Dominican Republic too hard yet, but it has hit the United States. It destroyed the economy in Puerto Rico for tobacco. Mm. So things that will come sooner or later, and you have to be ready for that. It, for the consumer, however, I think it's more of the in-store experience. You know, having lounges that have better ventilation systems, uh, lounges and stores that have more information. The consumer with their cell phones, with iPads, they have more information available to them. And when they are more educated, when they have more information, they can make better decisions at the time of enjoying and purchasing a cigar. And also at a time of, you know, enjoying sitting down in a lounge with better technology, with better environment. All right, let's, let's go to uh, a question from Instagram. Uh, Rodolfo Leonu, 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 Jordan? Something like that. Something like that. What is the difference in nicotine levels from a cigarette and a cigar. And I'd like to expand this question just even more. Like, just in general, what is the difference between the tobacco that you find in a cigarette compared to in a cigar? I think that's something that people are interested in, especially people that don't have any connection to cigars at all. Like, what is the difference between the tobacco that you find in a cigarette and a cigar? It, the answer to that one is it depends. There's tobaccos that are used for cigarettes that has less nicotine than tobaccos that go into premium cigars. There's also tobaccos in cigarettes that have more nicotine than the tobaccos in use in cigars. So th that's a toss up question in that sense. If you analyze a tobacco plant, the bottom leaves tobacco have less nicotine depending on the variety and depending on the soil, it, it can have from one to 3% nicotine and the tobacco leaves on the top can have from 3% to 6% nicotine. We do studies, companies do studies on the tobacco that they farm. I've seen even tobaccos with 7% nicotine. For example, Arapiraca from Brazil, very potent tobacco. But the big difference is in the processes and of course also what you do with cigarettes. Because with cigarettes, you also add other additives that are different and then with cigarettes the type of tobaccos that you use in cigarettes also have different kinds of processes for example for cigar making premium you have complete curing and you also have prolonged uh, you have fermentation and you have prolonged aging the fermentation and the aging are things that do not happen in in cigarettes so the normal typical american cigarette blend 
is a blend of three types of tobacco. This is like the original American blend for cigarettes is uh, Burley, Virginia, and Oriental. And for um, for Virginia, you, you use a leaf that is uh, yellow, so you stop the curing process at the yellow step. For Burley, you uh, finish the, the curing process, but for Oriental, it's also a sped up curing process. And for none of them, you use fermentation or aging. And at that moment, during fermentation and aging, you are also reducing the amount of nicotine. And there's another, it's, it's a long answer, but there's another point to that, and it's also the way you consume the the cigar versus you consume the cigarette. Because when you uh, puff on a cigar, you're only putting the smoke in your palate, and you do not bring the smoke into your lungs. When you are enjoying a cigarette, the smoke goes to your lungs. And the absorption rate of nicotine through the lungs is much faster, mm. straight up to the brain, much faster. So that's why you become addicted to cigarettes because the absorption rate is faster and much more impactful. With cigars, the absorption of nicotine happens through the saliva and the mucosa in your palate and the absorption rate is much slower with less percentage of nicotine and that's why cigars are not addictive. So that's really where the, the difference happens. It's not on the type of tobacco, it's in the processes and on the way of consumption. Right, and the and the additives. Like I know they add like acetate and stuff to cigarettes to make them burn properly. They don't do that right. in, in cigars. So there's, I've heard somewhere that there's I don't know how many chemicals get added to a cigarette, but it's a lot. Well, it's also interesting to me that like nicotine is like demonized in regular society, where like people just think that it is like this this crazy chemical that gives you cancer, whereas it's not ju not just in tobacco plants you can find nicotine in tomato plants as well mm. um but it's but all it's these nicotine has the uh, has the addictive properties but really what does all the negative effects is really all the additives and the way of consumption because in cigars you don't have that way of consumption and you don't have the additives what what really uh changes is really that like you were like you were saying is it can be addictive, but nicotine also have all these other positive things that can do to you. Nicotine is good for Alzheimer's. Nicotine is good for all mental activity. Coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're doing uh, different tests to create a, a vaccine through nicotine. So it's very interesting that nicotine has all these also very good uh, uh, things to it. It's just that when you add all the additives and you become addicted to it, that's when really the problems begin. Mm. That's why cigars are not really bad for you. Right. All right, excellent. Um, interesting, too. Uh, the, the whole cigar versus cigarette thing has always been an interest to me. Let's go to uh, Coach Adam Melhler from Instagram. He wants to know, why does the same cigar sometimes tastes so differently and is there a best way to prep your mouth to the experience for the, the the flavor should be so the second part of that question i think is super interesting because matt you brought in you brought in a a drink a couple weeks ago that was meant to what was that drink that you brought in matt that was uh tingala Tingala, and it, was made and it does tingala your mouth it was made from a certain flower Cloth that's supposed to clear your palate of anything, and then the very next thing you taste is supposed to 
taste the way it should taste is amplified or whatever you want to say. But um, so first, let's just tackle that question. Like uh, you kind of already answered why sometimes the same cigar tastes so differently. Like as far as Davidoff is concerned, you guys are vertically integrated. You're maybe more apt to handle those changes, but some companies aren't. And I know that you like I know one thing about you, Klaus, is that you you are a sympathetic to cigar makers all over the world. You're not just like, you know, like this Davidoff guy that that is only concerned about what you guys do. You smoke all kinds of stuff, and you're interested in the little guy, the big guy, the medium guy. Like, what what are the challenges that like the smaller guys have to face? Like, they they're not vertically integrated like you guys are, and so they're trying to make cigars that taste the same every year, but they don't always do that. And why is that? Well, one of those things is, you know, they have less controls, uh, especially the smaller guys, and they have less inventory, like I was saying. And when you have less inventory, you depend on a supplier. And when you are dependent on a supplier and you're not vertically integrated, at that moment, you you depend on what they have, on what they have ready, on maybe they ran out of the tobacco that you normally using a blend and you have to purchase something else and then you have to retweak the blend but at that moment you're changing the blend with something completely different you are guaranteed to have something different so there's a lot of challenges but really it it goes down to the inventory sometimes when they ask us uh, how can Davidoff do this you could say yeah it's all the controls and everything but really the answer is inventory and inventory is the name of the game and when people see the amount of inventory that Davidoff have, they they have heart attacks. I mean, it's warehouses and warehouses. It's over five million pounds of tobacco. And that's why we can adapt. But the smaller guy needs to rely on tobacco that is delivered to them, tobacco that they have to go inspect on a regular basis every time they go buy. And they have to qualify and they have to decide whether to buy it or to not. But they can't stop production. And that's one of the issues that Cuba faces uh, not only with quality, but with, with flavor profiles, and it's that they don't have inventory. And it's because they don't have the years of years of tobacco. They have had bad crops. They're fixing it, yes, but it, it it's very hard. I do appreciate, however, the small guy and how, uh, how passionate they are. I appreciate how much work they put into their, you could say, their craft blends. And... It's a completely different industry. You go visit a factory that is huge. You go visit a factory that is medium size or one that is a boutique one, and they're all different, all different experiences, and they all have some sort of special thing that makes them unique. Right. So it's very you, interesting to visit many types of factories. Plus, you just you love tobacco, like regardless if it's <laughs> regardless it if seems it's like it. regardless if it's Davidoff or whatever. Like I know you, and I've talked to you at length. You know it late night at, at bars and in Vegas. And I just know for a fact that you are a guy that just loves this plant, this tobacco plant. And I think you appreciate the struggles that the small guy, the medium guy, and the, the even the bigger companies go through. It seems to me that you're, you're just a lover of this craft. When, when your father sends you out for years to the farm and you have to go out there early in the morning and you don't leave and you and you have to eat breakfast in the farm <laughs> after eat lunch in the farm and you get back home and you have dirt in places that you didn't know you could get dirt in <laughs> either you love it or you hate it and 
I, I'm blessed that I ended up loving it. And when you care for these tobacco plants, uh, they at, at that point, they almost become like your babies. And I think it's wonderful to see them, you know, see them grow, see them change. And then it's, you know, you have your kid, your kid goes to trouble in school or something. I mean, I don't have kids, but you, you, you see them have troubles. You see whether, oh, my plant is having troubles. How can I fix it? How can I make this successful? How can I make this leaf a good quality leaf, even with the, all these struggles? How are they going to graduate and go into an Ivy League Davidoff cigar? <laughs> right. And, and not only that, but like you, I think you realize that, you know, you're one of those guys that realizes that. You know, the small guy, the medium guy, the big guy, all of that is is a benefit to cigar industry as a whole. Like, it's not just, it can't just be like what Davidoff is doing. It has to kind of be, you know, like, what's the popularity of cigar smoking in general? So all of this is important from, this, from the little guy all the way to the big guy. In Dominican Republic, the tobacco industry employs uh, over 120,000 direct jobs. It's a big part of the economy, and I, I love the industry. I love my country. I, I love what it brings to the country, the, the history, the culture behind it, the tradition, and it, it, you have to support it. And if it, it would not be possible without the cluster of every single person, not just, the, just, not just the factory people, not just the factories, but even you know, the box maker, the cellophane guy, uh, all the, the designers, everybody that puts something into this world, you guys, the, the ones that are spreading all the information, you know, uh, it's what makes this industry beautiful and it's why we should all band together and protect it. That's why I love ProCigar, for example. Because Pro Cigar, you could say, hey, it's all these competing companies out there in the market. But when you go to Pro Cigar, we're all a big family. And right. even to the point, I, I studied with a lot of the daughters and sons of these cigar manufacturers. So we are just one big family. We hang out together. We drink together. We smoke together. We trade cigars. And it's just beautiful. Right. All right. Final, <laughs> final uh, regular question is um, from Tech717. And I, I don't remember where I got this one. Instagram, Facebook, I'm not sure. Uh, what specific minerals are desirable in soil to grow tobacco? And which of those produce different nuanced flavors in the finished product? Or is the majority of observed flavor from the fermenting and the strain of the t tobacco itself and the aging so this is a good question because like sometimes like you taste salt you taste salt on your tongue you know in the tobacco like when you actually put it up to your mouth you taste salt and i've asked guys like uh, so why is that and people have said like well that's because there's sodium in that tobacco so like what when you guys are looking at the soils are you calculating based on this question that's asked from tech 717 like, is the soil itself, the composition of the soil itself, imp imparting flavor into your mouth, into this tobacco, into this cigar that I'm smoking right now? That's, uh, okay, that's, let's do chemistry, right? Uh, so when you're correct with, with, with the salt, um, something interesting uh, with Yamasa is the amount of iron that is in the soil. So the when you have a more volcanic soil, when you have stronger soils that have higher amounts of iron, for example, the farm in Yamasa is really close to the mines where you have gold, silver, nickel in the country. Mm. These um, these min this iron 
in the soil will in increase intensity. It will also increase the spices. So normally tobacco that has uh, has been grown in, in zones that with stronger soils, more iron, will have more spices, more peppery. Um, but you also have to look not so much into the flavors uh, because with the flavors you can you can do them with, yes, the combination of soil, but a lot of it has to do with the type of seed and the different types of seeds will have different abilities to assimilate these nutrients. But something that we're also looking at is the other parts inside the soil. So we are analyzing the amount of, of, of sand versus limestone versus clay in, in the soil, see the, the composition, see how, how thick the grain of sand is to see how much the water drains, if it's gonna wash when every time it rains or if the nutrients that you add are gonna stay there. Mm. You have to also uh, look at the pH level. So tobacco grows very well between 5.5 and 7 pH. If it's any, any, any below five, it, it will not assimilate it. If it's anywhere above seven, the tobacco plant won't, won't grab the nutrients, so it has to be between those. Um, so you have to adapt that. Yamasa is actually originally four, so that one is very interesting because we actually had to change that one. Um, what else? Phosphorus. Phosphorus is very, very important at the beginning of the growing stage because phosphorus allows for the root development. Um, nitrogen, very, very important for um, uh, throughout the whole process, all nitrogen elements, uh, which at some point you have to kind of reduce the amount of nitrogen elements so that the tobacco can mature properly, so they can start turning yellow. If you continue with the nitrogen elements, then at that moment it will not mature properly. And there's a lot of other ones. Um, yeah, like too, too much nitrogen like in your grass or whatever, like it just, it stays green too, too long. And so for tobacco, it might just not want to, it might not want to ferment if you had like too much nitrogen in it, that kind of stuff. Magnesium, magnesium is good for the ash for combustion. So uh, when you have a whiter ash, that soil probably had a lot more magnesium. Mm. And so there's different things that we are analyzing in the soil before we grow there. We do soil samples uh, in different parts of the farm. And then we add uh, nutrients to the soil to always make that soil back to its original state. We're not changing the soil unless we are increasing or decreasing the pH so, so the tobacco can grow there. We're really trying to make, bring back the soil to its original composition. Right. All right, so uh, that's the 10 questions that are wow. going to be up for... Uh, we kind of like ramped it up there. We ramped it up. The first question, you're like, well, this is pretty, you know, this is <laughs> stuff we talk about every week, and then by the end. Yes. So Jordan... on chemistry. Jordan, we do have one bonus question. Oh. Bonus question. Let's see here. Are we ready for this one? Because this is <laughs> a really tough question. This is the bonus question. Would you rather fight a hundred duck-sized horses or one... Horse-sized duck, Jordan. <laughs> I know that you have some. That's Facebook. Jordan, I know you have some strong, well, strong feelings I, about this one, Jordan. I just whipped up the, the, my opinion <laughs> on this on the fly. I, it might not even be scientific, but I feel like everyone's gonna say, "Oh, the the hundred horse-sized uh, duck-sized horses because they're small." But I think if you upscaled a duck to a horse size. <laughs> They've got hollow bones. It's basically just going to collapse on itself at the size of a horse. 
<laughs> I, would, I would choose the, the horse-sized duck. <laughs> okay, Klaus, what do you think? Uh, um. Ask yourself this. If you ask yourself, uh, fighting in the market, as a, you have a company, you have a brand, do you prefer to go up against 100 small companies oh. that you can control, or do you want to go against one big company that you know their gameplay? Oh, my goodness. I was going a little more scientific with wow. it, but I like the direction you took. I like the direction that Klaus took on this question. So, Klaus, what do you, what do you say? What do you think? It's, it's a tough question because, first of all, I, I, I'm a small guy, you know, and I don't think I could, I don't think I could take on uh, a, a big horse on <laughs> where these horses, I don't know how high they can jump. They can probably overpower me at some point. I can probably fight off a couple, but at some point it's just going to be too many. And I love preferring having a single target. Mm. I love preferring uh, analyzing that target, knowing what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, how they play how they fight, and it's probably an easier win. You can have a better game plan when you know one opponent versus when you do not know all these small hundred opponents that might come up with every single one, might come up with a different tactic, everyone might come up with a different fighting style, and you have to adapt to a hundred different types of people. So it's very, very interesting. So I think think, think Jordan, you and Klaus are on the same page. You, right. you both would prefer the one... Looks like the comments are on my side, too. So I'm going to go, just, just for sake of argument, I'm going to go the opposite way. And I'm just going to say, like, I could just be kicking these, like, horse... These duck-sized horses. Like, stepping on them, you know? Like, kicking them out of my way and crushing them easily. Like, I don't care how many of them attack me, Jordan. I'm just going to keep stepping on them. I mean, I think either way, you're in a pretty good situation here. Neither of these guys are very tough. <laughs> That's another question. <laughs> now, so, Klaus, uh, before we pick a winner, we're going to pick a winner of, and we're going to run. Do you think you could ride these horses like roller skates? You put, like, one foot no. on each horse, and no. you just, like, I don't know. Because they're so small. You, they would, I mean, they're duck size. That's like a rollerblade. I know, but the horse's legs can't keep <laughs> They're not going to be able to keep you afloat. Like, literally, you, you would crush them. But right. before, before we pick this winner, Klaus, like, I, I want to just comment a little bit about uh, Davidoff as a whole. Like, I think that, you know, like, I've said this before in the show. A lot of people think of Davidoff as this big, you know, company. It's one of the top three selling cigars worldwide. Maybe the top. I'm not even sure. But um, what people maybe don't realize is, ultimately, it's... It's guys like you and your father. Hanky Kellner was one of the most legendary blenders ever on, on this planet. But, like, it's, it's, it's you guys, and it's still a craft. Like, it is a craft company that is so in tune to the craft. Like, people talk about, like, you know, craft cigars, craft, uh, you know, boutique blends and this and that and all the other things. And I love that aspect of this, com- of, of this industry, the craft industry but Davidoff is a huge company but you guys are really like what I saw down there at your factory was just this this intensity this love of the craft and like doing everything to a you know like it's the, almost more craft the, yeah it's almost more craft because like you have the resources to you know like do stuff that maybe a smaller company could never could never do but like talk about the fact that like it really is still just a family company and you're still just 
into tobacco more, you know, like just as much as a small company that comes out of Nicaragua or Honduras or whatever, like all of those guys are great. I love those guys, but like Davidoff's just a bigger version of what those guys are. It's a craft company, but just on a larger scale. You know, Davidoff was small. I mean, before the, before the boom, when they moved to the Dominican Republic, the first order for the for the first uh, order for the United States was 100,000, 115,000 cigars. Uh, they were about a two million to three million cigar company when they came to the Dominican Republic, and we have, were always more in tune with the craft, with the different processes, trying to make sure that the cigar that we made was as perfect as possible. And thank God it, that has resonated with people and people believe in the brand, and that's why we've been able to grow. But just because we grew, it doesn't mean that we have lost everything that is our core, our basis, our foundation. And that's why we still have love for it. Every person in the company understands it. Every person in the factory understands uh, how important it is to make these cigars as perfect as possible. And that's why we are always coming up with new things to try to make sure is as perfect as possible, is as precise as possible. So in that sense, it's very Swiss, but we always keep the Dominican heart, you know? And this Dominican heart, this craftsmanship will always resonate in the factory. And I don't think it's something that we will really ever lose. Uh, I think when companies uh, grow too big and they start focusing on numbers and they start focusing on sales, that's when they lose sight of it. And it's one of the dangers of growing too big. But I think that as a family-owned company, we, we, have, we haven't lost that. And that's why we're able to really focus on the manufacturing side, on the, you know, getting everything right, all the quality control right, all the innovations, all the C creations, so that we stay true to what our foundation is and we trace, stay true to the consumer. Because at the end of the day, it's a cigar that you enjoy and it's a cigar that you believe in and you do not want to be betrayed. And if we're able to always be consistent and we're always able to deliver that same cigar that you love, then we're winning. And we're very happy every time somebody has nice things to say about our cigars. Everybody in the company, every time we get something nice, everybody's just super proud. And, you know, it's a team effort. It's a big, big family. A family has grown a lot, but we still believe in our values. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I've always appreciated that about you guys is that uh – it hasn't turned into this just overly corporate, you know, uh, operation where it's, you know, the focus is just sheer numbers. Like you can tell, like with you guys, like you, you, you really do care about the product and, and the fact that, you know, Hey, do, do people like what we're doing? Do people like the Amasa? Do people like the, you know, the black label project? Are they into that? And you appreciate that. And, and we, we saw that Jordan, I think in it last year's IPCPR with the, you know, the tasting experience when you go through oh, the man. tasting experience and like seeing the different regions just in that. Like you guys were trying to focus on, hey, this is what these different tasting regions offer. And it was it was a it was a super cool experience. It's unfortunate that, um, you know, at least for now that that isn't happening uh, this summer. And I know you guys were out of that before this all came down. But at the same time, you know, like I think that, the, you know, in the future, there'll be this 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 all this stuff will pass and there'll be other conventions there'll be other trade shows that where you guys can show off you know these different growing regions and stuff that was a really cool 
the experience, the Davidoff experience room that you went through, especially the last room, Jordan, where you could drink. You, you know, got you a could, drink. You could drink. Yeah, like there was like <laughs> rum. And <laughs> I mean, that was the best IPCBR booth I've ever been to. It was yeah, amazing. It was, it was incredible. So, so hey, Klaus, I appreciate all of the uh, the time and effort that you put into each of these questions. Now we got to pick a winner. We got to pick a winner out of these ten. Mm -hmm. So what we're gonna do, Klaus, just real quick is. Uh, Jordan's going to kind of kind of run through them. You take a look at them, and I'm going to allow you to pick the winner of this week's contest. Let's go all the way back. So let's just uh, zip back through those real quick. And so the first one came from Cigar Noop. It had to do with uh, the flavor of – oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Uh, let me go back even further. The first one was Dirty Socks, and he wanted to know about the best way to introduce his love of cigars to his smoke – his friends, maybe his girlfriend or whatever. The second question was from R. Wilson. This was the really very in-depth question about the uh, utmost importance of each step, growing, harvesting, processing, storing, production, packaging, and distribution. That was R. Wilson. Then there was a one from Steve Hoffman about uh, how often is the crossbreeding or creating new versions of tobacco plants. And Chad it was a similar question, but he was more interested in the genetics of tobacco and how much genetic testing and science is used. And then we went to J.T. Wop, who wanted to know your favorite cigar, Dav or your Davidoff cigar backstory, which was a good question. And then we went to Cigar Noop, who wanted to know about the flavor of tobacco and how it varies from year to year. Um, and then Tanner C. asked about terroir jordan terroir terroir and how important terroir is to cigar in comparison to wine which was a good question and then we went to miguel n from the dojo app who wanted to know about tech technology and enhancing the cigar the experience the for consumers and the industry as a whole and then we went to rodolfo lianu who wanted to know the difference about nicotine levels in cigars and cigarettes. And then Coach Miller, Jordan, Coach <laughs> wanted to know about the uh, best way to prep your mouth for the cigar experience. Mouth and then finally, text 717, specific minerals in the soil and how that affects the growing process. Klaus, if what do you mean finally? If you've We well, have... The, the duck question. The duck question was Phil Stein and the <laughs> Would you rather fight a hundred yeah. duck sized horses or one duck's uh one horse sized duck? So Klaus, what do you think? Are those ten questions who should we award this incredible prize to? The this by the way, guys, this this flask is the incredible Holy prize. Holy cow. Insane. The cigars are just a bonus, but uh, so take a take a think think about those ten questions, Klaus, and tell me which one you think should should bring home the big the big money. Uh, I I think the question that threw me off the most not threw me off, but really impressed me the most. I don't think I've ever touched on this subject ever. I've I've seen many of these questions, but I've never seen the question about the minerals in the soil. Mm. I think that's the one that should take it home. The one that got yeah. us into the chemistry. That All right, so, so that is Tech 717. So congratulations, Tech 717. I have to go back and figure out if that was from Instagram or Facebook or 
the dojo or Twitter or whatever. Those are some good questions. Those were some I, good uh, questions. Better than Toss. I almost expected, I think. I, re- I really like the nicotine question, and I, yeah. I love yeah. the other soil questions, but the, the really one, the hard one, and I, 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 you can make a whole class just on the <laughs> chemistry side of it. The, the hard one it was the chemistry one, and I think that's why I won. All right, so Tech717, mm-hmm. if you're watching right now, please send me your mailing address, and I will get you out your prizes ASAP this week. Uh, Klaus, thank you so much for joining us on Smoking Live on this Friday night, brother. Man, I, I we've had you on the show before, but uh, I can't wait to have you back again because I learn so much every time you're on the show. It's a pleasure. I love these. I mean, I think I've said it before, but there's nothing like education. And we believe strongly in education, and that's why I love it because my job is to, you know, spread spread the Davidoff philosophy, spread tobacco knowledge, and I think the more the more knowledge we have, the better we are, and the better as a whole, as a team, we can continue fighting for the industry. Absolutely. The more knowledge we have, the better. Read books, listen to these things, and you're golden. How, how's, your, how's your pop doing? Just before we quit here. My pops? Oh, he's he's happy. He has me here. He <laughs> he has all the cigars in the world. He's, he's, he's taking... Uh, a little step back, you know, relaxing more. He's really uh, looking over the company, you know, on the, in the bigger picture. He's really doing a lot of work as well for the for the country, and I think that's where he needs to be right now. He has to protect everything that he's done, and I'm glad that at his age, he has so much energy and he has so much initiative. I hope to be half the man he is at that age. <laughs> what about any uh, tips on any cool releases coming up we can hear about? Or we had we had something that was going to be released in April, and sadly because of all this situation, we were not able to release it. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to be releasing it sometime this year once things kind of go back to normal. And you you can look forward to two limited editions this year. They're both based on the foundation and the core Davros cigars, um, really old school blends. So you can definitely look forward to them. One of them has a really nice story, and I think you're going to like them. And be on the lookout for them. They should be coming out sooner or later once all this thing is over. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, guys, uh, Flavor Odyssey this Wednesday, it's the final wildcard episode, Robbie and Randy's final Wildcard season episode. finale. It's you think it's going to be as good as The Sopranos? It's going to be the season finale Who's of Flavor Odyssey on Wednesday, and who knows what they're going to do? Who knows what Robbie and Randy will come up with with this? Fi- the last episode was amazing. It was a twenty-five and five episode, which was a twenty-five dollar beer and or cigar paired with a five dollar or less cigar and or beer. And Randy chugged at least six PBRs, which was incredible on the show. Uh, so we'll look forward to Wednesday's fi- finale of the season, and then we'll start season two uh, the week after that, which has a whole new theme, which will be super exciting. Uh, next Friday night, a week from tonight, get this. We go from Klaus Kellner to Juan Martinez of Hoya de Nicaragua. Uh, we'll be talking all things Hoya de Nicaragua on the show. The, uh, the oldest surviving cigar factory in Nicaragua. So uh, Juan will have... Uh, a bunch of cool stuff to tell us. We'll get some history on those guys. It'll be a blast. Until then, remember, everybody. And by the way, Klaus, don't go away. I'll talk to you after the show. But until next week, remember, never, never smoke, smoke alone. alone. We'll see you guys next week.
Introducing the all-new Romeo y Julieta Passion. The story of this cigar dates back almost a year, during a visit to the Flor de Coupon factory in Honduras. We witnessed the endless amount of passion and love the workers put into each and every cigar. This hand-rolled cigar uses a blend of Dominican and Honduran filler tobaccos, along with a rich and flavorful binder from the US. The wrapper is a zesty Ecuadorian Habano leaf that offers up notes of pepper, leather, nuts, and a dash of cocoa. Ignite your passion and pick up a box of the Romeo y Julieta Passion at jrcigars.com.